It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Just a warning for you before we get started, this episode contains some sexually explicit content. A year and five months after being arrested and refused bail in New York, the trial of Ghislaine Maxwell finally underway. Every day in this case, people queue up outside. Lots of members of the public wanting to see what was going on. The 59-year-old faces eight counts of sex trafficking and other charges. She has pleaded not guilty. It often feels like she's directing and marshalling her own defence. She's very, very engaged in it. Her legal team telling the court... Ever since Eve was accused of tempting Adam for the apple, women have been blamed for the bad behaviour of men. Everything is moving much more quickly than initially expected. Now it's thought that the jury will get the case sometime before Christmas, and it is still unclear if Maxwell herself will take the stand in her own defence. If she's convicted here, Maxwell could spend up to 80 years behind bars. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Callum MacDonald. Today, the Ghislaine Maxwell trials so far. Because of COVID, half the public gallery has been removed so the jurors can spread out. And so because of that, there's not that much room in there. Maybe about four or five external journalists get in every day and then maybe four or five of the in-house court press get in. Fortunately for us, the Times' New York correspondent, Will Pavia, has been one of those attending court every day to report on the trial. Isabel Maxwell, uh, Maxwell's sister, and her brother Kevin have been on the front bench. Every morning, Maxwell's lawyers come in and we all sit there. And it's at about 8.30 when Maxwell herself is brought in from a door to the left of where the judge sits on the bench. And she's always escorted by these two very young US Marshals, both women, Long brown hair, both wearing suits. I think they're dressed quite smartly so that the jurors don't assume that, you know, the defendant is under guard. So these two young women, they've sort of become a feature. They sit behind her and then they quite often get up and get out of the way so that Kevin Maxwell can talk with Ghislaine Maxwell and so that Isabel can. And there's also they have a family lawyer with them. You do get this pattern and the prosecutors arrive and the defence. and It does start to feel like, like almost a sort of everyday thing after a while, but it is an incredibly strange case on the other hand. Ghislaine Maxwell, the British socialite and former friend of convicted paedophile Jeffrey Epstein, is accused of sex trafficking and conspiring to entice and transport minors to engage in illegal sex acts. She denies all the charges against her. Now, the trial is ongoing. The prosecution has finished presenting their entire case. And after a few days' break, the defence has just begun setting out theirs. 
I spoke to Will this week just before the defence started presenting their case. Can you describe Julian Maxwell's kind of demeanour? How does she behave and how has she behaved as the prosecution have been presenting their case? Well, she's been a very engaged defendant. She's quite expressive. She's always wearing a mask. And so she talks a lot with her hands. And she's very often leaning in to confide with her lawyers. When she comes in every morning, they all come round and give her a hug. And then she sits down amongst them. And she's always taking notes and she's often passing notes to them. There was a moment during the cross-examination of Annie Farmer right towards the end when Laura Menninger, one of her attorneys, finished and said, can I have a moment? I just want to confer with my client. And she went to confer with Maxwell and Maxwell's talking to her. And then she got up and said no further questions. So it often feels like she's sort of directing and marshalling her own defence in, in as much as she can. And she's very, very engaged in it and, and seems very focused. When some of the witnesses are testifying against her, sometimes she sits with her back to the wall, kind of with her arms crossed or in her lap, looking at them. And sometimes you see her looking at the jury. But for the most part, she's hunched over her desk writing and making notes and things. Lots of us are probably familiar with courtroom artists who are responsible for kind of drawing pictures of the courtroom proceedings to then reflect in newspapers or on TV or whatever. There was a slightly strange incident one day where Maxwell actually started drawing the artist. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so this first happened in a pre-trial hearing and it was a, a court artist named Jane Rosenberg. She's sort of been there for all of Maxwell's pre-trial hearings and Maxwell got to know her, I suppose, in, in, in as much as you can. At some point during this pre-trial hearing, during a quiet moment when they were waiting for, for the judge and lawyers to go through some legal arguments, Maxwell turned and started drawing Rosenberg as Rosenberg drew her. So then Rosenberg then produced a picture of <laughs> Maxwell drawing Sorry. her. And this thing happened again and I was actually writing a piece about Rosenberg. So I've sat along the same bench as her next to another reporter. And the reporter nudged me and said, look, she's drawing Jane again. <laughs> she's drawing Jane again. And we were both watching. And then Jane jumped to her feet and started drawing Maxwell. And this is while all the lawyers had gone out for a meeting in the judge's chambers. So Maxwell was sort of on her own at the defence table. And she was drawing Jane. And then her eyes swept along the bench. <laughs> and she started looking at me and, and the other reporter, wow. Lucia Osborne Crowley, who, who works for Law 365. And Lucia said to me, I think I think she's sketching us. And, and I think she was because she was looking straight at us. And then she was looking down at her notepad. And then she was like, <laughs> sort of making furious jottings. It's a very strange experience. We're all just staring at her the whole time. I mean, I'm afraid we're all because we're all so fascinated as to how she's holding up under this case. But when she looks right at you, it's just a quite unnerving and startling experience. And we both didn't know what to do with ourselves. It was sort of a, almost somewhat assertive, I suppose, trying to take back mm. control in some ways is what it felt like. And there's nothing to do but sit there. The prosecution rested their case much earlier than expected. In fact, after just two weeks in front of the jury. I asked Will to tell us more about the evidence presented by federal prosecutors. They called four key witnesses or four key alleged victims who all say that they're abused by Epstein and that Ghislaine Maxwell assisted Epstein in that. We've heard from two witnesses who were certainly underage when they were abused by Epstein and they both say that Maxwell was involved and may have abused them too. So the first of those was Jane, who is now an actor, and the other underage victim was called Carolyn. Those are not their real names and we'll hear more about both of those witnesses in a few minutes. And then we had two witnesses who were initially part of the indictment and still are, 
as supporting witnesses now because the judges ruled they were both over the age of consent in the relevant jurisdictions. One was a British witness testifying under the pseudonym Kate, and she talked about being befriended by Maxwell when she was on a trip to Paris when she was 17 and essentially being encouraged to give Epstein massages, Mm. which led to other things. And we also heard from the only witness testifying under her own name, Annie Farmer, on Friday. And she was 16 when she was brought to Epstein's ranch in New Mexico. And she says that Maxwell gave her a a massage while she was topless and that she also encouraged her to massage Epstein's feet. And Epstein climbed into bed with her at some point. As Annie Farmer and the witness known as Kate were both over the age of consent at the time of the alleged event, the judge has instructed the jury about how to take their testimony into account. Those two witnesses can be considered as much as the jury think that it's relevant, but they have to be a little bit careful that they can't support the charges on their own. Mm. And then around that, you have this supporting cast of witnesses, and the way the prosecution has done it is they've basically steadily joined up all the dots, and each witness supports the others. So we've got Juan Alessi, who was one of Epstein's house managers, who remembers picking up Jane, and also remembers Virginia Dufresne, who is said to have recruited Carolyn. Virginia Dufresne is probably the most prominent accuser of Epstein and Maxwell, who's also brought a civil case against Prince Andrew, alleging multiple sexual assaults. He has always denied any wrongdoing. And you also have some of the accounts of the pilots who worked for Epstein, who both remember Jane and Virginia Dufresne as well friends and family members of these alleged victims who have been called to say that they mentioned this at the time or later and to corroborate their stories. And then we've got police officers and FBI analysts who analysed photos and documents that were taken from Epstein's houses in Palm Beach and in Manhattan. Let's go on then to some of the key testimony from the witnesses that you have heard from in the last few days. Shall we start with Jane and how Jane's kind of evidence progressed, I suppose? Jane's an absolutely crucial witness at this point because however many people have accused Maxwell in, you know, in civil cases and elsewhere, this case really hangs on the evidence of two accusers and Jane is one of them. It all began here in 1994 at a summer camp for gifted young singers in Michigan. The victim, identified in court as Jane, testified that she was 14 years old when she was first approached by Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein. She described Maxwell coming by with her dog while Jane was with some friends and the friends left to go to a class and it was just Jane on her own. And Epstein appears then and, and says, oh, you know, she says that she's from Palm Beach. And Epstein says, oh, what a, what a coincidence, and takes her mother's phone number and then calls her later. And Jane told a very graphic account of, of what happened to her. I mean, essentially, it starts off with her and her mother going round to Epstein's house, um, having tea with Epstein, tea and pastries. And he's acting as a mentor and saying, you need to focus on what you want to do. And I can help people. And I often help people get into university. And he's recommending how she should basically proceed with her career. Maxwell became like a sister figure, she said, taking Jane shopping and buying her gifts, including underwear. She would talk about sex and taught her how Epstein liked to be massaged. She's invited back there a few times. And she says that on one of these times, Epstein sexually assaults her, essentially. And then the second time, she says that Maxwell is involved too and is issuing instructions on what to do. And her account became actually quite shocking, really. I mean, she talked about orgies. She talked about other adult women being involved and these group sessions where Epstein would very abruptly say, follow me, and they'd all go up to his massage room and it would be a massage, but this sexualized kind of massage in which this 14-year-old girl was involved. And it put Maxwell in... the the room several times 
during it. She couldn't say how many times, but Maxwell became a sort of active participant in her abuse. She was cross-examined quite strongly by the defence and they managed to bring up all this testimony she'd given to the FBI during meetings when prosecutors were talking to her where she'd said she couldn't remember Maxwell being involved in the abuse or she couldn't say how far Maxwell was involved. And I think the defence made quite a bit of headway with her in that showing up these discrepancies. But I think she was still a pretty strong witness and, and she was very compelling on the stand. Throughout her testimony, Jane was softly spoken, sometimes tearful. As to the big question, why she didn't tell anybody, Jane said she felt shame and disgust, that somehow this was her fault and that if she told her mother, she may get into trouble. What she certainly said on the stand was that this was something that she'd always wanted to put past her and she was testifying under a pseudonym because she's an actor and, and, and she doesn't want her name to be entirely associated with this. And, I mean, the prosecution also got, got several of the witnesses to say that since they'd become parents themselves, they had suddenly realised the need to testify, but that had also made them reluctant to use their own names in court in, in this criminal case. I want to go on to Carolyn next, who you've kind of identified as well as obviously being key in this first initial stage of this trial. What are some of the key things that Carolyn had to say in court? So Carolyn is a very different story in a way. I mean, Carolyn is from West Palm Beach and she grew up in a, a single parent household. Her mother, she said, was addicted to drugs and alcohol. She was the oldest child and she was pretty much allowed to do whatever she wanted. And at the age of 13, she dropped out of school. And so it's about a year later, she's hanging out with her boyfriend, who's identified as Sean. Now, Sean is also seeing two other girls and Sean is 17. She's with him and, and that's how she meets Virginia Giuffray. And Virginia Giuffray says to her, I know this guy, this wealthy guy on Palm Beach. You can make a lot of money just by going around and seeing him. And she doesn't elaborate initially, but she dresses up Carolyn to go. I think Carolyn said that she wanted her to look sexy. And they, they then go together to Epstein's house. She says Virginia told her that, you know, she could keep her underwear on if she liked, but she'd have to take her clothes off. And they went up to Epstein's massage room. Now, importantly, she says that they met Jelaine Maxwell when they went into the house. Carolyn said Maxwell told Virginia to bring her upstairs and, quote, show her what to do. She then describes massaging Epstein and uh, it's the same kind of sexualized massage. And mm. she starts going back and, and she gets paid sort of $300 a time, each time in $100 bills. And she crucially, she says that Maxwell herself came up at some point and touched her. She also said that one day Maxwell walked in when she was nude and touched her body in three places. She said I had a great body for Mr. Epstein and his friends. She said I had a good body type. There's a striking moment where she talked about how she couldn't actually pronounce Ghislaine Maxwell's name. Mm. She couldn't pronounce her first name. And when her boyfriend testified, he sort of said, well, she dropped out of school. And he said she was a child, ma'am. She was a child to the prosecutor. So it was very striking. And he also talked about the fact that he would be waiting outside. They'd be inside for about an hour. And when she came out, she had $300 in $100 bills. Carolyn testified as being asked by both Epstein and Maxwell if she would fly with them to Epstein's private island, but says she told them there was no way her mother would allow it because she was only 15. And Carolyn said that by the time she got to 18, I mean, she had a child with Sean and she moved to Georgia and she came back and sort of started going to Epstein again. But at some point he kept saying, have you got any younger friends that could come and give me massages? She told the jury that she stopped seeing Epstein at 18, crying as she said, he asked if I had any younger friends. I said no. I realized I was too old. It was a pretty shocking testimony from Carolyn. 
And the defence talked about the fact that she herself had abused drugs and that perhaps this had messed with her memory, that she had schizophrenia and that she might have been motivated by the money from the Epstein Victims Compensation Fund because she won a sizeable payout. This fund was created from Epstein's estate after he died and awarded a total of around $121 million to eligible claimants as part of settlement agreements. The fund stopped accepting new claims in March this year and finished its work agreeing settlements in August. They also talked about the fact that initially in lawsuits she hadn't sued Maxwell, she'd sued Epstein and one of Epstein's assistants, Sarah Kellen. Just sort of trying to raise the idea, you know, why if Maxwell was so involved as you say now, why wasn't she your target earlier? And she kept saying, well, Maxwell wasn't the focus of that, that was all about Epstein. And when I talked to prosecutors originally, they were asking me about Epstein, so I didn't talk about Maxwell. But the defence seemed to take the strategy to try and sort of say that Maxwell was conveniently being implicated now that there was money on the table to be had. She replied, no money will ever fix what's happened to me. The other strange thing the defence did was that they, they asked two of the other witnesses if they'd ever seen Maxwell pregnant. At first we were all intrigued by this and thought that perhaps that the defence were preparing to cast Maxwell as a sort of another victim of, of Epstein in some way. They then asked Carolyn, they said, you saw a picture of Maxwell in the house, naked and pregnant. And she said, yes, nude and pregnant. I saw a picture of her in the house. They then showed her an exhibit on the stand and she said, oh, that's not the photo. But in any case, they showed the same exhibit to one of the pilots who worked for Epstein. And he said, oh, that's a picture of somebody else. That's a picture of Eva Dubin, who was one of Epstein's ex-girlfriends. And so the whole thing seemed to be to try and discredit Carolyn, to try mm. to say, well, she's mistaking one woman for another. So there seemed to be some complicated defence strategies there, but she was quite a strong witness in a sense. Again, the defence did highlight some discrepancies in, in her record. What has the atmosphere been like when Jane, when Carolyn, when they've been giving their testimony? Some of it's been so stunning that in the courtroom itself, everyone's completely quiet. I, 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 don't, I don't want to use the word enthralling, but it's, it seems as if the whole court is paying very close attention. I mean, there are objections which sort of interrupt the flow of it. Both Jane and Carolyn became quite emotional talking about why they were there and what they were there to do and how they were finally trying to get past this in some way and sort of seek a measure of justice. So those were powerful moments and they will probably resonate with the jury, I would think. As well as hearing from alleged victims and their friends and family, the prosecution presented other evidence too. The government yesterday introduced these just-released photos trying to show jurors in pictures the close relationship enjoyed by Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell over the years. More on that coming up next, but first... Hello, I'm Jane Mulkerins, Associate Editor of The Times magazine. By listening in, you make it possible for me to bring you exclusive stories that you won't get anywhere else. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, 
you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really really want it all to work out while you're away. monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Let's go on to talk about photos. There were 19 photographs that were found during a raid. I believe they were found on a CD at Epstein's uh, home in New York. The photos, used as evidence by the prosecution, give an insight into a relationship that is crucial to the case. An FBI agent testified they found thousands of photos on CDs, along with cash and jewellery inside a safe. The defence had tried very hard to keep these from being shown to the jury because essentially most of these photographs were pictures of Maxwell and Epstein looking very much like they were a couple. The never-seen-before photos show the pair in various locations, sometimes with their arms around each other or most often with Maxwell's arms tightly around Epstein. I think there's probably maybe like 15 or 16 pictures of the two of them together and some of Maxwell on her own. But the defence said you don't need that many pictures to do what one picture will do, to which the prosecution said the whole point of the defence's argument about Maxwell is that she's a mere employee and she's a functionary within Epstein's organisation and that she's not aware of what's going on, essentially. And these photographs tell the story of their incredibly close relationship over time. And by over time, she meant that you could see them getting older, you could see their hairstyles changing. So it looked like a long period of time. They traveled the world together for years, beginning in 1991 and continuing their relationship until Epstein's conviction for underage solicitation in Palm Beach County in 2008. They were introduced by an FBI analyst who had gone through CDs. The FBI analyst didn't know when or where the pictures were taken. So as the prosecution showed her image after image, they'd say, who's in the picture? And she'd say, on the left, Jelaine Maxwell, on the right, Jeffrey Epstein. So it was presented to the jury without very much explanation at all. But what the jury saw was that perhaps this couple were very, very close and it backed up all of these other things. Of course, the rest of us were all desperately scribbling as these were introduced to get down as much detail as we could of what we were seeing. And it was only later that someone managed to identify the fact that in one of them they're sat in this log cabin in very beautiful woodland. This one thought to be at the Queen's Balmoral Estate in the late 90s. They were sat essentially on the same spot that the Queen had been photographed in. So that all made a big splash in the UK. But of course, the jury, if they're following the instructions from the judge not to read the media, they won't know any of that. But what they will see is all of these pictures of these two as a couple and perhaps partly bolsters some of the prosecution's arguments. A couple of the pictures were on Epstein's private jet and Maxwell is giving Epstein a foot massage 
And there's three of these pictures. One of the witnesses, Kate, who was the British witness, said that one of the things that Maxwell did when she first was introduced to Epstein, she said, oh, just try giving him a foot massage. You're very strong. Why don't you try and do that? He'd really like that. And Annie Farmer, she says that when she went to Epstein's ranch in New Mexico, that one of the first things that seemed to her to cross boundaries was that Maxwell said, why don't we give Jeffrey a foot massage? I'll show you how to do it. And so the jury heard all this about how foot massages were possibly a way of grooming these young women. And then they saw a picture of Maxwell busy giving Epstein a foot massage. It may have been more powerful than some of the testimony they had in terms of giving the jurors a sense of who Maxwell was and how she related to Epstein. The Maxwell trial seems to hang on, on these two accusers with, with the support of these two other alleged victims. And so the prosecutors, what they've done is, while they've presented these four women to the jury and they've had stories which have similarities in them, they've then had these supporting witnesses who've given the jurors a sense of this whole world around Epstein in which Maxwell, as they put it, is the lady of the house. She's in charge and she runs all the houses very thoroughly and has sort of a real eye for detail. It's essentially making the point that there's nothing that she would have missed. They had all these people corroborating each other. So you had Juana Lessie saying, I remember picking up Jane. The former Epstein housekeeper. He described her as an incredibly strikingly beautiful young girl that he picked up a few times and brought to Epstein's house. He remembers Maxwell driving around looking for massage therapists. The pilots both remember seeing Jane as well. You gradually have all these other people who are putting these witnesses in the places which they say they were. And then you have all these photographs of Epstein's houses, which seem to speak to the witnesses' accounts. It all ties together and that's what they seem to be doing. And it's just gradually built steadily from there. The defence has now had a chance to start making its case. But even sort of ahead of this, we're probably getting a bit of an insight into what their own strategy is going to be in all of this. We had in their opening statement, Bobby Sternheim gave a pretty powerful statement. It was an hour long and it was setting out this story that Maxwell essentially is like a timeless story of, of the woman being blamed for the man's bad acts. Her legal team telling the court, ever since Eve was accused of tempting Adam for the apple, women have been blamed for the bad behaviour of men. She said that prosecutors were essentially pinning all of Epstein's bad deeds on Maxwell. And they also have tried in cross-examination as well to paint Maxwell as someone who was one of many assistants of Epstein. And they described Epstein as a jet-setting, a slightly mysterious multimillionaire who kept all the different parts of his life separate, implying that he didn't tell everybody what was going on with him. They quite frequently referred to the fact that he had other girlfriends and that sometimes when he would arrive at one of his houses, he would tell his house manager to take down photographs of Maxwell. So they tried to paint Epstein as someone who might have kept Maxwell in the dark about certain things. The other strategy, of course, has been to try to attack the memories of these witnesses that she faces. And Sternheim says something along the lines of that this case was about money, memory and manipulation. And so they're going to call the expert on memory who talks about how memory is not a static thing, that memories aren't filed away in this perfect filing cabinet, that actually they can shift and we make new memories of things that we recall. And there'll be the suggestion, I think, in that the massive media coverage of Epstein and of Maxwell has caused some of these victims' memories to shift and to change. Will says the defence will likely talk about the Epstein Victims' Compensation Fund and how much each alleged victim, in this case, received from it. They've also been trying to call the lawyer 
from one of the alleged victims. Saying they wanted to show the jury how he had perhaps suggested or implied to her that it would be helpful to her case with the compensation fund if she also worked with the federal government. So that's the gist of the defence case at the moment. They've said they'll call 35 witnesses, which is quite a lot. Mm. It'd actually be more than the prosecution. It's quite unusual for the defence case to run longer, and I'm not sure they'll call all of them. Do we expect to hear from Maxwell herself at any point in this? It's one of those things that seems extremely unlikely. It seems that she would probably be advised not to because she's hired all these high-powered lawyers that she would probably take their advice. On the other hand, part of the case against her initially was perjury charges, which stemmed from a deposition she gave after she was sued by Virginia Giuffray. And those have been severed from the counts she's facing at the moment and they'll be tried separately. But one of the things that, that was said or assumed about Maxwell was that she sort of resented being held to account by these alleged victims. And so she did speak in her own defence. Maxwell actually gave a full deposition. Epstein had always refused to speak out in depositions. He used his right under the US Constitution's Fifth Amendment not to give answers to any questions where he may end up incriminating himself. So I suppose there's that possibility that she will get up and speak for herself. But it seems very unlikely because it would just open the door for so many questions from the prosecution. Is it unreasonable to kind of anticipate there might be a verdict before Christmas? No, I think there may be at this point. The judge has been very clear we're going to sit all the way through Christmas. Now that the prosecution have wrapped up so quickly, there is the possibility that the jury gets the case before Christmas. The judge has said she'll look at that as she comes to it about whether to try and do anything to stop the tendency that some jurors might have to decide the case as quickly as they possibly can so they Mm. can get away for the holidays. But yes, we may get a verdict or the jury may stay out and and return on the following Monday after that Christmas weekend. And so the trial continues. Ghislaine Maxwell denies all the charges against her. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. I hope you're one of them. If you're not, you need to seriously consider it. I'm Callum MacDonald, and our guest on this episode was the New York correspondent for The Times, Will Pavia. You can find all of Will's written work at thetimes.co.uk, where you can get a full range of digital subscription offers as well. This episode's producers were Arlie Adlington and Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by Tom Birchall. Now, if you have a story that you would like us to be covering, if you've got an idea for a future episode, what is it that is going unreported that you would like us to cover? We are standing by to hear from you. So email storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for having me. I hope you have a lovely weekend. Listener.